0: Welcome. Hey, if you're on the foyer, go ahead and make your way on in. We're gonna get started this morning. Um, thanks for being here on this holiday weekend, uh, Memorial Day. Um, I know. I know most of the time. Oh, if you're new with us this morning, welcome. My name is David. I'm one of the leaders here, and uh, we gather along with a lot of other um, seekers of the kingdom of God on Sundays to to sing songs, stir our affections, uh, point our eyes to who Jesus is, and so. We are so glad that you're here this morning um, on this Memorial Day weekend. Hey, I know a lot of us view Memorial Day as a long weekend where we get a little more rest, um, but that's actually not what Memorial Day is for. It's it's a moment to remember um, our soldiers that have fallen. And so we have a, a veteran who actually goes to our church, and he speaks to this in a video. So I want you to check this video out with me this morning as we begin our time.
1: No greater love can one have than to give his life for his friends. Jesus saying that is talking about his own crucifixion. But if you apply that in a broader sense, it's service members giving their lives for their fellow service members. They were defending and protecting their friends. True soldiers don't fight for what's in front of them they fight for what's behind them. They are tied back to their communities, they're tied back to their homes, they're tied back to their families and friends, and that's who they're fighting for. I am Bob Crawford, been married to my lovely wife for 47 and a half years. Uh, I served in the Army for just over 29 years uh, before I eventually retired in 2003. A lot of people think of Memorial Day as that first weekend of the summer. It's a time for barbecue. It's a time for going to the lake, which uh, are perfectly okay and suitable for that weekend. When you think about Memorial Day, its it's actual purpose was to mourn uh, service members who have lost their lives in uh, American wars all the way back now to the Revolutionary War up and through uh, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, that we pretty much just wrapped up. I think the first thing to remember is that it's a day to honor those who have passed away, who died in our wars. Service members have gone into harm's way and have given their lives for what we have today. We as a nation come together one day out of the year. Families and friends of those service members who have died, have Memorial Day every day. Every day. Okay? Because those memories are always there.
0: So, either today or tomorrow, I would encourage you if. Maybe it's your grandfather, maybe your father. Um, if you know someone who has fallen in war, take a moment and um, think about them. And uh, spend some time uh, remembering our soldiers. Well, hey, we're going to begin our time this morning as well uh, just, just praying. I don't know if you watch the news or if you're on Twitter or social media and see what's, what's been happening over the last really two weeks There was a shooting in Buffalo two weeks ago that was a complete act of racism. And we're going to pray for our country for that. And then there was a shooting this past week in Texas. And we're going to just pray for those families. And so I don't really know what to say about those things other than, uh, Lord, would you make it right? And so um, we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning just bowing our head and and praying. And then we're going to sing together. We're gonna stand and sing and and seek the Lord together this morning. So if you would, would you take the next minute or two and would you just pray, pray for our
1: country? Mm-hmm.
0: Lord, if anything, the last two weeks have reminded us that um, this isn't our final resting place, would you say that you go and prepare a place for us? So Father, I do just pray that that restlessness, the anxiety that your children feel, Lord, would you uh, be close to us in it? And would it be a constant reminder that uh, this is not our final final home? Lord, we need you this morning as we sing to you. Would you make yourself known to us? Would you stir our affections for you as we gather together as your children? In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me? Spend a little bit of time this morning. As you can tell, we don't have a full band, and so our voices are going to be what carries us mainly this morning. So let's, let's sing to our God who hears us. He's a good God. every single one of us in here
2: A song to rise to you when temptation comes by way and when I cannot stand I fall on you Cause Jesus you're my
0: hope and stand. when I cannot stand when I cannot
2: stand I fall on you. Just show my home. My one defense, you're my one. Responded. The cross is spoken, I am forgiven, the King of kings calls me his own.
0: seen that again. Let's really celebrate that this, this morning. this morning we can gather together here as a family under one king that's king jesus well thank you for the words that we just sang that in our darkest you reached out to us you pursued us and you continually do the same lord for our country would you heal it would you unify it would you come back soon so let me pray amen amen
3: Hey, good morning, Fellowship. Hey, sometimes we are blessed, and people always come up to me uh, after we are able to do this, but we have somebody uh, from another country who comes up and either prays uh, in their native uh, tongue or reads scripture in their native language, and so we're blessed to have that again this morning, and so Ben, would you come up for us, and he's going to be reading the scripture today.
4: After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore, Jesus lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number, about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone.
3: Wait, 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 wait. I see that y'all love my dad joke there at the beginning. (laughs) Ben looked at me like you're an idiot. (laughs) Hey, wanted to introduce y'all to Ben. Ben and his wife, Hannah, who uh, was a part of this church, they met actually over in Papua New Guinea Mm -hmm. uh, on a missions project and got married and moved here. And Ben uh, and his wife have really jumped in. Uh, To serving at this church and this next year they're actually going to be going through the residency program and with global outreach and and ministering here in northwest arkansas so wanted to introduce y'all please after the service uh, come up and uh, get to know ben Uh, i think i want him to read all of our scripture from this point on Uh, i could listen to his voice uh, all day long give him a hand thank you Hey, it's so good uh, to have y'all here with us today on this Memorial Day weekend. You decided, man, I'm not going out to the lake, I'm going to church, and so we're super proud of you for being here with us. Uh, My name is Brian Pope. Like I said, I'm the Global Outreach Director here at Fellowship Bible Church. And when I teach, I try to make things as simple as possible. I try to break things down, probably because my mind is as simple as you can imagine. So what I wanna do today is I want to outline the entire Bible for you in three words. Think it could be done? Y'all for that? Three words. Okay, so I think Scripture is ultimately about our Messiah, Jesus Christ. He is the main character of our scripture. So I believe our Bible is broken up into three sections. The first section, which is the Old Testament, and here's your word right here, talks about the Messiah that is promised, the one who's yet to come. And as you see, it actually starts in Genesis 3 right after the fall where God promises that he's going to send somebody to redeem this relationship that we have uh, or can have with God. The second part of our Bible is broken up into the Gospels, and this is where the Messiah is provided. So we have the Old Testament section where he's promised, and then the Gospels where he's provided. And this is where Jesus uh, is, is walking around, he's teaching, he's meeting people, he's doing miracles to prove that he is the one that the Old Testament had promised. And then the rest of the New Testament, and matter of fact, this is continuing today, is where the Messiah is proclaimed. The rest of the New Testament proclaims the Messiah, which has come, and we live in that era today. And so you have promised, provided, proclaimed, right? And so one era points forward. One uh, is there when Jesus is walking around, and we live in the era where we point back to what Christ has done. The Bible, in three words. I'm done. You know the Bible now. We're through. So now, we've been walking through the life of Jesus in the book of John, And so we are in the provided section. And so we've been looking at the things that Jesus has been talking about, the I am statements, the miracles that Jesus is doing to prove that he is the one that was promised in the Old Testament. Got it? Got it? So that's where we're at. Now, I uh, wouldn't be a good teacher if I did not point out that the feeding of the 5,000 is the one miracle outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that appears in all four gospels. So outside of the resurrection, this is the one miracle that appears in all four gospels. Therefore, logically, they've given me the second most important teaching out of this entire series. They said, Pope, you've got this one. It is that important, but you're not good enough to get the most important one. That'll come later, but you're the second most. So here we are, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, there's some similarities that I wanna point out that happens in all of them. I think there's two spiritual points that happens in all four accounts. One is John 6, 9, over there on the left says this, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Now, my favorite word in there is lad, and you might say, why did I use this version? Well, we had been reading today, and I knew that, so I wanted to use that version uh, of the Bible, but there is a lad here. Who has five barley loaves and two fish? And you see that in Mark, Luke, and Matthew it says basically the same thing. And the spiritual principle is there's a, a huge need, but there's an extremely small resource to meet that need. And then you also see this in John six thirteen. It says, "So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments." From the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. And so all four of the Gospels point out that even though it began with a small resource, once that was given to God, he used it and he multiplied, and there was a huge portion left over. So just remember that and hang on to that, that that all four accounts touches on those two spiritual principles that what we may have to give to God is extremely small, but what he can do with it turns out to be more than enough. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke take this story in a completely different direction. And it's surrounded by this question right here in these first three accounts where it says, but Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. That I believe the point of the feeding of the 5,000 that the audience that Jesus is really trying to focus on is the 12 disciples. In two of these accounts, in Mark and Luke, it's right after he sent the 12 out for the very first time to do ministry. He equipped them to go out and do ministry and they were able to cast out demons and perform miracles. And they came back to Jesus and, he, and you can just see them on this like spiritual high that they've been sent out. They've, they've done these amazing things. They come back to Jesus and then they see this large crowd and they come up to Jesus and they say, hey, they're getting hungry, let's send them away. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Don't you get it? I'm equipping you for something. When you see a need, you are the ones to go and to meet that need. And so if you are a believer in here today, if you are a follower of Christ, I think this message speaks to us. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever driven around town and seen something or watched the news and seen something on the news or talked to a friend and, or heard about something and, you, and you've kind of thought to yourself, man, somebody needs to do something about that. Or somebody ought to do something about that. Well, there's a very good chance that the Spirit is saying that somebody is you. And you might be thinking to yourself, but oh, man, I don't have the education, I don't have the resources, I don't have the know-how, I don't, know how, I don't have the time to do something about that. And God is saying, hey, bring me, what do you have? Bring it to me, bring it to me. I want to tell you a couple of stories. One of them happened just this week. I was meeting uh, with a lady and another man right over here in our prayer room, and this lady, her and her husband, just a couple years ago, felt this really strong urging that God was saying to do something about the homeless here in northwest Arkansas. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to be able to provide jobs for the homeless, pretty much anything that they could do, and get what they called receive a wage of dignity to help them learn some job skills to be able to to work and pull themselves out of the homeless situation that they're in. But they literally had no resources whatsoever. And so her and her husband thought, man, what what can we do? And so they actually went, her and her husband went and did some yard work because that's where they were gonna have some of the homeless that are gonna train them to do that. They went and did some uh, yard work and received $100 for doing it. And They took that hundred dollars and just invested it into the ministry that they're starting, And today, there's literally a hundred homeless that they're ministering to and taking care of. that they just brought what they had, and God just said, "I'm going to multiply that out." Another story that I wanted to share with you today comes from one of my heroes of the faith. Her name is Corey Tin Boone. And if you haven't heard of her, I really recommend, there's a book out there called The Hiding Place. And basically, what it's about is, is uh, Corey and her family, they would hide the Jews during World War II, they'd hide the Jews from the Nazis, and, and save many lives until the, themselves were caught, and they spent years in a concentration camp. Well, Corey actually wrote a second book called Tramp for the Lord, which actually means walk for the Lord, doesn't mean what we think about with Tramp today. Tramp for the Lord, walk for the Lord, and it's about her life after World War II, how she just traveled the world sharing the good news of the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. And in one of those stories, she, she talks about this was the height of the Soviet Union, is when it was under communist control, when they're really trying to stamp out anybody doing ministry behind the walls of the Soviet Union. And Corey heard about a couple that was ministering there. And so she was able to sneak into that place and she went to visit them. She walked, she said they lived uh, in an apartment complex with no stairs, or no, no elevator, they had to walk up the stairs. And when she got to the top floor, she walked into this apartment and what she found was an elderly couple. And the woman was so struck by MS that her body was just, curled up, and she had lost function of everything except for one hand. And what would happen each day is that her husband, after he would take care of her needs and feed her, he would prop her up on the sofa and set her in front of the typewriter. And with that one hand, all day long, she would translate the word of God into the language of her people. She took all she had left to serve the Lord. And Corey writes about it and describes this. She says, I looked at her wasted form on the sofa, her head pulled down and her feet curled back under her body. Oh Lord, why don't you heal her? I cried inwardly. Her husband, sensing my anguish of soul, gave the answer. God has a purpose in her sickness. Every other Christian in the city is watched by the secret police, but because she has been sick so long, no one ever looks in on her. They leave us alone. And she is the only person in all the city who can type quietly, undetected by the police. To me, there's just always been such conviction in the story that this lady was literally reduced to the last thing that she had left was one hand, and she says, Man, I'm going to use it to serve the Lord. And even though her circumstances were so negative, she says, Man, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to use it to serve the Lord. Shortly after Corey visited her, she, she heard that she had passed. And she reached out to her husband. Her husband said on the morning of her passing, the night before, she was up till midnight translating the scripture. And so my challenge to the believers in here is, man, what's holding you back? What is something that you have that you can serve the Lord with? Just bring it to him and see how he multiplies it out. But John, we're gonna transition. John takes this story in a completely different direction. John 6, four through five says this. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy the bread so that these may eat? Now much, if you were here last week and you heard Garland teaching, it was about the healing at the pool of Bethesda, and there was, a, there was a man who had been crippled from birth there, and you see this amazing miracle where Jesus heals him, and he says, take up your pallet and walk, but also John threw in one word that made you go, why in the world did he put that detail in there? John is doing the same thing in this story. He is trying to highlight that the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was near. So what John is going to do in this story is he's gonna take two major events, out of the book of Exodus, close to the very beginning of our Bible, and he's gonna tie it in to what Christ is doing with the feeding of the 5,000. Now, if you know about the Passover meal, what had happened is early on in the history of the Bible, the, group, the, the people of God, the Hebrew people, were held in slavery by the Egyptians, specifically the Pharaoh. So God became involved in there to get the Pharaoh to set the people free and was doing miracle after miracle against the Pharaoh to release him. And the Pharaoh was so stubborn of his heart, he wouldn't let the people go free. So finally, God came to him and said, you're gonna let my people go free or I'm gonna kill the firstborn of every family I'm gonna send, an angel of death through there. Except for the people who will take a lamb an unblemished lamb, sacrifice it, take the blood, rub it over their doorpost. The angel will see that and will pass over judgment on those people. A real event that happened in history to bring people out of physical slavery, but it's gonna point to something bigger that Christ does with his life to free us from spiritual slavery. And so I love this chart right here that it talks about the different aspects of the Passover and how Christ in the New Testament accomplishes all those things on a spiritual level. And we don't have time to walk through them all, but something that stuck out to me recently is the fifth one down, eaten. Because what they would do with the the leftovers of the sacrificial lamb, they would actually cook and eat together. And Jesus, during the Passover meal with his disciples, introduces the idea of communion and the bread and the wine. He says, take, eat, this is my body. And so this is pointed out before the the feeding of the 5,000, that this was the time. And so Jesus has been read. You know, they they gather the people up and Jesus says, well, what do we have? And they they go, well, we've got these five loaves of bread and we've got these two fish. And so Jesus says, bring them to me. He had everybody break up into groups and Jesus took the bread and the fish and just began to multiply it and give it to the disciples and the disciples would go out and they'd feed the people and they'd come back and they'd get more and Jesus would give and they'd go out and they'd feed it and it says everybody ate until they were satisfied. So everybody had plenty. This was the reaction of the people. It says, therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed and they said, this truly, the prophet who is coming to the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and to take him by force, to make him king, withdrew again to the mountainside by himself alone. What's interesting when you see in the New Testament, when you see prophet, when you see king, especially when you see it here together, is that Jesus actually does fulfill the roles of prophet and king, and not only that, of priest. But he's gonna do it on his timing and his way. And the people, what the people were saying is, man, this guy filled our belly. Let's make him king, and he'll just be able to sustain our lives with food. And so Jesus flees and he says, it's not my timing, it's not my way. And he goes, and there's a break in the story and what happens in the story is, is the disciples get in a boat, and they go across, and there's a big storm, and Jesus walks, walks on the water. It's a miracle that Michael's going to teach on next week. And then the people actually go, and they, they chase Jesus down. They want to be with him. And so this crowd goes to find Jesus. And as a teacher of a Bible, I love what happens next because Jesus himself explains the miracle. So he does my homework for me. I don't have to tell you what it means because Jesus is gonna tell us what it means. So we're gonna pull out some key verses there. It says, Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, the Father God has set his seal. Jesus is gonna begin an argument. And on this argument, there's two sides. There's people who are just focused on the here and now. What can Jesus do for me in the here and now? And Jesus is gonna say, man, focus on the eternal. You're focusing on the wrong things. And they're over here saying, oh man, you fed us. You're taking care of our lives. And Jesus is saying, man, there's something more important. It's not just about this life. It's about the eternal life. That's primary what I'm here for. And I think this speaks to so many of us today is that that we want God for what we can get out of him today. How is he gonna bless us today? What is he gonna do for us today? And Jesus is saying, man, don't just make that your focus. What about eternal life, the life that never ends? That's what I want to speak to you about. And therefore, they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? So they're kind of tracking with him a little bit. They're starting to follow along. They say, okay. So what are the works that God wants us to do? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of Of God. Jesus is gonna have a couple of mic drop moments in this teaching. This is one of them. That the people are going, okay. Okay, so what is the work? By the way, this is the moment that if you're taking notes, that you pull out your pen. And you go, man, Jesus is about to tell us. What is the work that he wants us to do? You pull out your phone, this is where you take the picture of the screen. This is where you lean forward in your chair and you say, Pope, push the button. I wanna know what the next slide is. You ready for the mic drop? Here it is. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Amen? Amen. And Jesus is saying, believe in him. Believe in him. We do not work for eternal life. We do not work for it. Matter of fact, Ben and I were having a conversation earlier this week, and we were talking about the gospel and the gospel message And and, and partly through the, uh, the conversation, I said this. I go, man, the gospel message is so good that when I'm explaining it to somebody, I feel like I'm doing it wrong because I'm thinking to myself, surely it can't be this great. Anytime that I think I'm effectively communicating the gospel, there comes a point where I'm like, surely I'm doing it wrong because the gospel message is so great. One of my favorite commentators Dr. Thomas Constable says this, the only work that God requires of people for salvation is faith in his son. I'll say that again. The only work that God requires of people for salvation is faith in his son. This is the message that Jesus is trying to get out. So we'll continue on. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? At this point, Jesus must have just been like, ah, pulling out his hair. They actually, at the very beginning of the story, if you look at the beginning uh, of the chapter, it says the crowds gathered because they saw him doing signs and miracles. Jesus just fed 5,000 people. He walked across the water. And they're going, hey, do you have a sign you can show us? Jesus is like, oh, and I think this is true with us, is that we're always looking, we're always going, God, do something, do something. If you do something, I'll believe in you. Do something, I'll trust in you more. And Jesus is saying there's a spiritual principle here that we'll always be chasing this, always be chasing. And it shows that we actually lack trust in the word of God. But Jesus said, and they said this, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And so again, it's pointing back to the story in Exodus as they're wandering through the wilderness that God would allow this bread-like food to fall. And each day they would go out and they would gather it up and they'd have to eat it that day or else it would spoil. And so it was just showing a dependency on God. And it says, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who's given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And they're like, whoa, you have a bread that doesn't spoil? Yeah, Lord, we want that bread. We want that bread. Are y'all ready for mic drop number two? You Ready to write it down in your journal? Mic drop number two. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. I am the bread of life. Can I nerd out on y'all for a second? By the way, if you haven't seen this movie yet, too late. I'm gonna ruin everything for you. The movie plays every three days on TNT. It's your fault if you haven't seen it by now. But this is the final movie of the Avengers, first Avengers series. They might have 12 after this. Do you know how long, how many movies it took to get to this point? 22. 22 movies to get to this part right here where Iron Man is going to sacrifice himself for the sake of the universe, okay? This is the climax. Everything was building up to this point with different hints dropped in along the ways. Here's where it's gonna get really nerdy, okay? Those of you who like superhero movies, the very first Avenger movie, which was Iron Man 1, very first one, the very first shot of Iron Man that we see is a close-up of his hand. It is foreshadowing this moment 22 movies later. In a much bigger scale, this is what Jesus is doing in Scripture. He is pointing back to event, events that happened thousands of years before. And he's saying that Passover that physically freed the Hebrew people, I'm going to be the ultimate fulfillment of that. That bread that our people gathered up every day in the wilderness to sustain themselves, I am that spiritual bread that will never go bad. And check this out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For I have come down from heaven. Years ago, I used this same illustration, but it was so nice I decided to use it twice that every other religion out there asks the question, okay, what are the works that I need to do? What are the things that I need to do to obtain God? How do I get close to God? As a matter of fact, you see it in, in the scriptures that we just read, that the people are going, okay, what are the works? Okay, Jesus, what do we do? What do we do? And Jesus, right here, just flips that idea upside down. And he says, for I have come down from heaven. I am the one who first loved you, that I am coming down and I am doing everything in order to restore that relationship with you. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is believe that I am the one. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. It is the will of the Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. This is what we're about. And we're doing all the work because we love you. And there's one word in there, beholds, which actually means to see. And you might think to yourself, oh man, I, I personally haven't seen Jesus. And I'd say, no, you have. Because scripture, scripture talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory that when people receive Jesus Christ, that Christ actually comes in and makes his abode within them, that we become a reflection of Christ to the world. Do you wanna know why we send global workers to areas of the world where no church exists, where there's little to no gospel witness? It's so that they can see Jesus in our workers. So God is saying right here that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have. me to kind of nail the point home one more time, scripture often, when you see scripture repeat itself, is trying to emphasize and try to say, hey, pay attention to this, pay attention to this, pay attention to this. And I just pulled out some of the references right from this section, the bread part. Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Out of heaven, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This is the message that he's trying to get to the people. And so the people ask, like, okay, okay, you're the bread, how do we get the bread? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. That is how we get the bread. We believe it and we accept it. I'll close with this. This is just a quote. I think it's been around for a while, but I heard it when I was visiting some of our global workers in Mexico a couple weeks ago. One of the teachers said this, and I think he was quoting somebody else but it's become one of my favorite quotes to describe one of the portions of the gospel, and it's this. On the cross, God treated Christ as if he had lived my life of sin so that he could treat me as if I had lived Christ's life of righteousness. Is that not amazing? And is that not a message worth sharing? And so my guess is that there might be some people here in the room who've never received the bread. And that could change this morning. And for the people in here who have received the bread and understand the message, your job is to go and to share it and watch God multiply. Let's pray. Dear God, what a beautiful message that you bring us. God, you are the one who did the work for us. You are the one who paid the price. You are the one who was sacrificed. And God, it doesn't matter in here what what these people have done, what their past is. God, if they believe that message, you will give them Christ's righteousness. You will adopt them into their family. You will make them a child of God. You will forgive them. So God, I pray if there's anybody in here who hasn't done that, just even right now, they would just say, I believe. I believe that Jesus was the bread. I believe what he did for me on the cross. And I accept that. And God, for those of us who have done that in our lives, dear God, may we not hold back, may we not make excuses, Maybe we bring whatever we have to you, dear God, no matter how small the portion, may we bring it to you and say, God, here it is. Use it, multiply it. It's your name we pray, amen.
0: So this morning, we're gonna take communion together. So for these next couple of songs, We're going to have our usher team be passing out the elements. And if you would, just hold on to those. And we're going to take together uh, in a couple of songs.
2: Before the world began. In the silence of the dawn, I am. Spoken to existence, every star and every man, I am. I am. In the dark and empty land, I am in our hunger and our thirst i am as we wander in the wilderness do not understand Ooh You stand with me as we sing this. time of praise
3: ago, there was a group of Hebrew slaves huddled together, observing the first Passover meal and trusting that their God was about to release them from physical slavery. About 2,000 years after that, Jesus pulled his disciples together in a room and gave them bread and gave them wine and said, do this often in remembrance of me. I'm about to go free y'all from spiritual slavery. And about 2,000 years after that, we stand in this room to celebrate that. So let's take his body that is broken for us. And take his blood that washes away all of our sins. Thank you, fellowship. If you like somebody to pray with, our prayer room is through these doors over here.